0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: I'm April Voki, and you are listening to Anchored. My chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Carl and Catherine Martins own Aventron, a grassroots family-owned business in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, that was built on belief and sheer determination. In this episode of Anchored, they share their story about making the dive into retail, how they manage the pressures of the big box stores, and how things aren't always as they appear. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by South Dakota and its incredible pheasant hunting. For more than 100 years, pheasant hunting has been a storied South Dakota tradition, and for the next century, they're focusing on making pheasant hunting even greater. Welcoming more hunters to the field, showing the hunting community is for everyone, That's a legacy to stand the test of time. Go to www.huntthegreatestsd.com to hear stories from women who hunt and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. Again, that's huntthegreatestsd.com.
2: Born in Aurora, Illinois, and raised in Geneva, Illinois. So it's a suburb west of Chicago and grew up there pretty much my entire life. Went to college at Illinois State University in normal Bloomington area and then um, finished up at DeVry University. I lived in Georgia for a little while and then moved back to Illinois, actually Geneva. Um, Had a house there and then right around that time was when I met Catherine, and then from there we ended up moving up to Wisconsin. And there's like 30 years or so in there, but a lot more happened. But <laughs>
1: and <laughs> Wisconsin uh, is where you are now, is that right?
2: Currently, yes, yep. But this is home.
1: Catherine, what is your story? Where were you brought up? I grew up in
3: northwestern Wisconsin in a very small town called Cumberland, so not many people know of it um, unless they've driven through it pretty much. If you blink, you miss it. So up at like up in the Northwoods, um, my family's very into hunting and all that kind of stuff. Like when you think of the cabin in the woods, that's pretty much where I grew up. And then I went to college even further North in Duluth, Minnesota, and I was a nanny there. Um, I'm 10 years younger than Carl. So he had quite a bit of life before we met, I guess you could say. Um, and then I was a nanny while I was in college, and then we actually met that way. And then I moved uh, to Chicago and with Carl five weeks after we met. We don't do anything, I guess slow. <laughs> we kind of go balls to the wall with everything, I guess. So some life happened in between all of that, but that's kind of how we got together.
2: Yeah, I had a uh, this pretty much. It was pretty much a frat house with, um, it was a foreclosure. And when she said she was moving in, when you, well, the, whoa, whoa, kick... when you
3: asked me to move in with you, <laughs> let's, okay. let's right. get this story straight.
2: Okay. I asked her to move in and she said she was moving in and, um, I had to kick all the guys out, um, and basically fully renovate this house in five weeks time. <laughs> we do everything pretty quick. Uh, when we, when we set our minds to it, we, we, we don't mess around.
1: Yeah, you guys seem like you're is all or nothing, right? And we're going to talk about that in in just a little bit. But I'm obviously a little interested in the whole fishing element, and you know, as a relationship, that's not always it's not always easy to find someone who's into the outdoors. So, Catherine had grown up in the outdoors. Carl, you as well. Where, did you grow up hunting and fishing too?
2: Not hunting, um, married into that, and still kind of learning that whole process. Um, but growing up, I was pretty active with my church youth group. And so from that, we went up to boundary waters, canoe trips, um, ski trips. Uh, we'd always vacation in Wisconsin and go up to a cabin. Um, my Martin's side of the family, we all rent cabins, um, and basically rent out a whole resort for two to three weeks every summer. And that's where we'd go and fish. And then my grandparents had a cabin, um, which is actually where, kate and i first actually met in person was at my grandparents cabin um so we'd go up to wisconsin and fish and so that's kind of um i guess what i knew about wisconsin was people went there to vacation and um i thought well why vacation there you should just live there and didn't really think much of it and now here we are So it's pretty good life. It's where people in Illinois go on the vacation, and we get to live here for.
1: Obviously, you take family very seriously. You know, when I go through your your story on your website and I I learn a little bit more about you and your shop, it's clear that you take pride in being a family-owned business. And I do kind of want that to be the focus on this episode in particular, especially around mom and pop shops. I think it's a very interesting subject. So, how did that all start? How did you guys? Get get started making this a business. Literally in our basement.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we um we had struck a deal with a um, company out of the UK to be a distributor for them, and we had that all like ironed out, and didn't even have a company name at the time. So I had like, well, I guess we had the weekend to come up with a, a name, and so. I just went online and um, I found some sort of website where you could put in words that would combine them and make a word, um, which there's a phrase that's doing that process is called something. Um, one of our writers, Amber, discovered it and I actually wrote it earlier because I thought that would probably come up. I was wondering what, <laughs> if she could remind me what that's called again. But basically I put it adventure and on and, and one of the words that spit out was adventure on. Um, so we came up with the name and then uh from there we were living in Illinois at that time, doing it out of the basement. And um how long after that did we move then to Wisconsin? Uh
3: within like about six months, because I was actually still in college. Um and we were in Sheboygan where we live now, um, visiting for the weekend that I graduated actually, and that's when we looked at houses. Um I probably five or six months I'd say we moved here. Um and really got things going.
1: What were the things going? I I know you said that you had and I kind of missed it. Who did you what did you have going on?
2: Oh, so we had struck so I guess rewind it a little bit back. Um I was the national sales manager, director of marketing for a company in Chicago. My father was the vice president. Um, kind of always thought that there was a path to ownership of that company. And one day my dad came over uh, during lunch uh, to meet with me and he's like, Hey, they um, promoted uh, someone from accounting uh, to be the CEO or COO. And um, so that was kind of like, okay, well, this isn't in the cards for my dad and I running the company. Um, So he suggests I get back into like doing my own thing. I always like bikes. Um I used to review gear. I had a you know, before there were influencers or affiliates and things like that. There were like bloggers, right? And um, I guess uh I was a blogger back then. I had my own blog and I'd review gear. So my dad just suggests I should do something with that. And uh that was really kind of what led to the beginning of a venture on was uh to Kind of pave our own destiny, I suppose, and not um, work hard for uh, a company or someone to not really have that total control.
1: This is interesting because there are so many people out there right now in that position who are blogging or you know they they're writing, they're freelancers, and they would also like to take the next step, but they don't know how or even what the next step is. So, were you when he said to you? why don't you do something with blogging? What was your immediate thought? It wasn't owning a fly shop or owning a shop. Was it?
2: No. Um, Like
1: I know if I was, if I was making my living, if I had a job and my mom said to me, make your living off of blogging, I would be like, well, I'm screwed. (laughs) What am I going to do?
2: Yeah. I think, I think what it was, was um, I was in sales, right. And sales and marketing, Kate was, Uh, doing some sales and marketing as well. So when that came up, it became, okay, let's start up our own company selling. Um, It was at that point, it was never, the store wasn't really in the mix maybe. I
3: think Carl, I think we originally looked more at like B2B because we were trying to sell, we were trying to get, bikes into bike shops we were trying to have bike shops buy a brand through us so we were trying to do more b2b instead of direct to consumer
2: right and then from there we we traveled all over the country and we had these bikes and we'd get people on them and try to like you know promote this brand uh, that we had the exclusive on in the u.s
1: that makes sense so you were really distributor and reps yes Yes. So we started
3: as like sales reps for that company um, and then added on a handful of other companies um, and brands, I guess, as we would travel. So we'd kind of like set up the booth, you know, like at bike shows or fly shows, we'd go set up a booth or, you know, it started with a 10 by 10 and then we got a little bigger and we could afford a 20 by 10 and then You know, really trying to like pinch numbers to get the 30 by 10, but, you know, slowly growing. And then we'd start going to these shows. And people would be like, these bikes are amazing. We want to support you guys, but we can't afford this bike because they were, um, it's a pretty exclusive name out of the uk and i'd
2: say we're we're distributors at this point not reps because it was all on us like it was our money we had to buy the trailer and put their logo on it and stuff like that. i mean it
3: was so, all our like um, our money yeah. from the start like everything through and through um but then basically people started asking us like we want to support you do you have any other other bike brands and then so carl it's just very sales money driven, you know, somebody wants to buy something from me, sure, I, I'll sell them something. So he started finding, you know, more brands to add on. And then we kind of laugh. but it is part of the story that I was kind of a diva um, about our camping situations. We'd go to these bike events and I'd be like one of, you know, you know how it is. One of like five other girls with like a hundred men and I'm camping out of our vehicle for four days. And I was like, okay, I'm going to need like, you know, a shower of some sort (laughs) or something. And then we kind of like slowly added on the nicer camping gear. And then, you know, went from, it was getting too hard to set up all the camping stuff. So we started doing our vehicle up. Um, and that's how we got into the overlanding. So I guess, I don't know, Carl, if you have anything to add in. You know, like people are always like, how did it happen? And it's like, it really just, it, it organically happened. We we always had a bigger picture in mind. We always wanted to be more than just bikes, but we didn't have some master plan and I still don't think we have a plan, you know, what's going to happen in the next year. Who knows? But Carl and I are going to make
1: it happen. Okay. So then, yeah, well, I'd really like to transition into how this turned into a shop. We got yelled at.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you got yelled at, so, did you say? Yeah. So, Starting to um, get
3: our wrist slapped. At, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, we're going around the country at these shows. Um, at this point, we're um, a distributor for bikes. We're also selling bikes. Um, we're selling camping gear, we're selling overlanding gear. We, we were into overlanding before it's really blown up in the last few years, big time here, at least in the U.S. So we got into that because we're at these shows. Like Kate said, she, uh, I, she called herself a diva, so I'll, I'll go with that. She's a diva. And um, when we pull into these events, you're in like these remote little, towns and the mountains and you're stuck because once you set up your booth then there's someone next to you there's someone in front of you you don't get to leave so it became me doing a lot of research trying to find like okay how can i take camping to the next level so that led me to overlanding of getting fridges and freezers into our vehicle uh rooftop tent to stay off the ground and uh you know, porta potties, showers, uh, all out of our car. So that's what got us in the overlanding. And then from that, so we're selling bikes, camping and overlanding. And then, um, we were told, um, it was kind of goofy. I guess some local bike shops had complained about us saying that we were taking sales away from them, which was funny because I think we'd sold like one item in all of like where we live. So it was very much online and very much, uh, sales from traveling to California or to Florida. I mean, we went coast to coast and anywhere in between. So it was kind of surprising that people were complaining, but I, I guess, you know, whatever, um, it's easy to point a finger at someone, right? Um, so we were told that we were going to be shut down, uh, on certain brands if we didn't have a retail store because this at this point was out of our house or it was out of booths at shows
3: basically we got told by the biggest distributor for like bike components that they would no longer work with us so we could still get the bikes but we couldn't get any of the parts or components or anything to work on the bike so you can't be a bike shop with. Without all the parts. So so
2: we, we rented a place and it's still in existence today. We still rent that building um, and we got it set up and then it was, okay, well now we want to see a sign. I mean, they
3: were asking us it. to send like, I think, I mean, Carl and I even forget this, but I don't think people realize like they wanted pictures of us legitimizing our shop. So I was running to like Hobby Lobby trying to find little baskets and whatever I could find to like throw things in a display to get us opened up as quick as possible because we were putting everything into this business. And it was like, if we don't have a few days of sales, we're screwed.
2: (laughs) And we don't like just do things... We we really do things. So um, they wanted a sign, and it was like, okay, well, we could pay 100 or 200 bucks to get something. They all know we spent 10 grand and we got a sign from some guy out in Colorado that actually has a degree from some university in Colorado for sign building. You know, it has like a lifetime guarantee, and we have the nicest sign in all of Sheboygan, hands down. But that took I don't know like six months or something. So meanwhile they're like, We need to see a sign. Like, well, I can't just do this. Like, here's the drawing and everything and here's the signed contract. that's coming. Like, don't worry. <laughs> and so we got like some decals put up, but um, yeah, that sign is something that we didn't have the money for. But um if we we're gonna spend money, we we're gonna do it right and have something that lasts.
1: Okay, so then how do how does it go from there? So you, you obviously make some sales, and the shop is officially a shop with baskets and all. It was like a mix of things all at once. Um,
3: I was about to give birth to our son. Um, our now shop manager walked in one day, and then also um, Carl's uncle, who's very into fly fishing, um, was actually moving to the area, and he kind of told us, like, did you guys realize you live in, like, a sweet spot literally for fly fishing like it's huge there and we were like what no like
2: yeah. here <laughs> yeah. yeah and I guess at that point they had not said they were moving here um they were just visiting um, because there's all sorts of crazy stories here we could go on but um my parents bought a house here in Sheboygan to retire in my grandmother, my dad's mom was from Sheboygan. So my dad's grandparents were from here. That's the connection to Sheboygan. And then from there, we came up to just stay in their house that they weren't living in yet. It was their retirement home in the in winter. Loved it and moved like a month later. And now my sister lives here. My aunt and uncle, my Mom's parents, my mom's mom's brother, and I feel like I'm forgetting someone else, but like the whole family is like moving to Sheboygan. Um, but the, the time that Kate's talking about was um, we were out to dinner. My aunt and uncle were in town from Georgia, who when I lived in Georgia, um, I actually worked for them uh, at Keller Williams Realty doing internet marketing. Um, But, yeah, my uncle had mentioned that this was a really good area for fly fishing uh, and for trout. And to be honest, I didn't know much about trout or anything. Um, My experience fly fishing was those two weeks in the summertime up at the lake when the bluegill or sunfish would be spawning. And you could go out and fly fish for bluegill and just some... Crappy fly rod that my dad had that I think the tip was broken off of, but we made it work. And, you know, so it probably went from like nine feet to eight feet to seven feet and we might have even got down to six. We were just kids, but it worked and we had fun. But so when my uncle said that about fly fishing, I was like, oh man, that was some really good times I had as a kid. Um, and then I just went down this rabbit hole, which led me to Trout Unlimited, uh, the local chapter and connected with, uh, the president, uh, of our local, uh, Trout
0: Unlimited chapter.
2: And, uh, from there, it really took off. Um, we were the corporate sponsor, uh, two years ago for Wisconsin Trout Unlimited, which is like Cabela's and Bass Pro get. Uh, so that was a pretty big deal. Uh, but yeah, TU has been really supportive.
1: Why are you choked up, Carl? I'm, I would, I hate, I hate um, to put you on the spot, but I mean, obviously it's an emotional so, part of, of your guys' story, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I've always had people in my corner and uh, I don't know. Uh, people have always been in my corner and uh, I guess we've had a lot of people come into our lives that have helped us and, some way or the other, um, you know, obviously customers as well. Like we have customers now that, um, Kate's really good at it. She, you know, talks with them on Instagram and knows their family stuff. I, I don't really get to do all that, but like, we really have these really strong relationships with people. Um, but yeah, the, the TU group was amazing. Um, we were told when we wanted to get in the fly fishing, um, by one of the reps that reps for a few different lines that no one in the fly fishing industry would ever open us up because we're a bike shop.
3: I think Carl gets so emotional because, you know, you're asking us, like, how how can we teach people how to do what we've done? But it's like we have just been told no day after day and just keep waking up and saying too bad. And we we can't tell you how to do it because it's just been like – we just, we just keep doing it. I mean, our relationship has been put on the line for this business. Our, you know, we really, we put everything into it. Um, and I think with the fly fishing is that's kind of really, I think Carl gets extra emotional cause that's kind of when the door is really opened for us, I think. And when we really like, we're still very much a ma and pa shop, but I think that's when we took it to the next level. And, like, we really made a name for ourselves. Um, and I think our approach to how we take care of customers is just something that fly fishers weren't used to getting online. Um, and it's just kind of like a whole new a new level of, I guess, shopping experience and just relationships with them. Um, you know, I'm home with the kids now, so I'm not in the shop as much as Carl is. So he, he can definitely touch on this a lot more. But I think that's probably why he gets a little emotional with it all.
1: No, that's a great explanation. And look, I just want to say a couple things too on that. That is a very common story with reps and there are great reps and there are good reps who are stubborn and set in their ways. And I know because a lot of those good reps who are stubborn and set in their ways went out of their way to also try to block me out of every single path and door that they could. But fortunately... Uh, the fly fishing community is bigger than those individuals and can see good people and good business uh, when they find it. So that's interesting to hear you say that it was fly fishing that opened that door. Because to me, when I hear fly fishing, I automatically assume it's less money. I would have assumed it would have been, I don't know, camping or or snowboarding so, yeah. or something. That oh would, gosh, would we view fly fishing. I think no. the opposite. We, I guess, no fly fishing is like.
3: Oh, these people are polite. They know what they're talking about. They did their research. Like it's it's not just you don't just go throw something. I mean, it's it's a passion, and it's a hobby. Fly fishing is. I mean, it's an art. You're not, you know, you have to know what you're talking about. It's not your conventional fishing, not that nothing against that. But I guess it's just kind of been like another level of customer and customer experience and relationship with the customers. And, you know, we're, we're meeting people like you and just, it's just a different, I don't Carl, what are you? I can tell yeah, that you're thinking.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my uncle. Um, so, and, uh, <laughs>
3: He's the emotional one out of the two of us. (laughs)
2: That's okay. No Uh, problem. So when when I used to review gear, I had a website, and I made it uh, UB Outdoors, which stood for Uncle Brian Outdoors. So uh, that's what I reviewed under. And so my Uncle Brian, who is the one that now lives here, who introduced me to trout in our backyard here, uh, who now lives here, but he always talks about fly fishing as a affliction. And once you catch it, you're just hooked, and you're going to be buying stuff frequently, right? So, I mean, with mountain biking, I still have my backpack from when I lived in Georgia, so that's probably at this point close to 20 years old. I don't buy a new backpack, right? fly fishing people buy things all the time. It's always the newest thing. Um, so, and then camping, all the big box stores have camping and, um, you know, there's something called map in our industry and most industries, minimum advertised price. And, uh, that exists where you're not supposed to sell below a certain price. And, Camping for whatever reason just seems to be the the big players out there always have sales for ten or fifteen percent off so uh camping for whatever reason it's good margin, but it has always been something difficult to get into for us uh, and then you might have a good spring you might have a bad spring weather wise you mean it's weather, yeah it's it's weather weather dependent so camping's been a a weird one for us to kind of figure out we we're not giving up on it because it really ties in everything that we do, but you would just think it'd be so much easier, and it hasn't been. Um, overlanding's been really good for us. We're the top vendor for a lot of the overlanding customers. Um, and then fly fishing, though, was really just, I guess, kind of like the the perfect match for us.
3: Well, to touch on your thing, Carl, with map is fly fishing, um, it's a very respectful respectable community, I think and they're the only without all the um, different categories that we sell, they religiously stick to map. They religiously will cut people off if they're not sticking to map. I mean everyone is an equal and they don't play favoritism where I think with um, some camping brands and biking brands they have and for us as you know the new name of the game, it was really hard. If we don't have the best price, nobody's going to buy from us, especially if they're like, who the heck are Catherine and Carl Martins? Who the heck's to venture on? You know, like I'm going to buy from this other store. But fly fishing, they, it gave us that opportunity because people couldn't have a better price than us. All we had to do was do better customer service, and we have that in the bag. So I think that's what really also helped with fly fishing and why I say fly fishing really helped us take off
2: yeah i remember like one one day we had just gotten about 10,000 dollars worth of sunglasses and and next thing you know um REI had them for 40% off and it was like that was our margin and we were just stuck with it, and to this day, we still have like two pairs of those sunglasses at the shop, you know. And it's like, oh, geez. And and there's been a lot of that that's happened. We where, think it's
3: a good buy. Um, we buy something, and then Walmart or something has it on like a major closeout the next day or something, and it's just like, you know, when we when we say we're a mom and pa shop, like we all we are a big name online, but. Ma and Pa, Catherine and Carl sit and cry some nights when this stuff happens. Like it, it is personal when this, you know, when it happens. And I don't think everyone realizes that.
2: All right. And, but I mean, another thing that got us really big in the fly fishing too is right when, um, it was like a week maybe before Mac was going to be born Our son. and it was just, it was just Kate and I, and we had no idea what we we're going to do. And I'm right around that time, Anton, um,
3: Oh Carl's going to cry again. <laughs> does he fly fish? Is he a fly fisher? Oh yeah. He does yeah. it okay. all. Yeah. And it makes he sense. Makes sense. And he is the guy that is so welcoming and like you'd think he's your best friend and he is your best friend. But he walked in randomly when I was at like my 38 week appointment when it was just Carl and I at the store and we were basically like what the heck are we going to do because I was huge. And I was the one waddling around shipping everything, trying to walk around the bike mechanic stuff. And Carl's just like, my wife and business partner is going to be home with this baby. And then this guy with a mullet comes walking in. (laughs) (laughs) He used to have a great mullet. (laughs) And he was basically just like, Hey, I'm an engineer, but I really like everything that you guys do. Do you need some help? And I, I'm not kidding. He's like, I've seen your guys' name online because I hunt, I fly fish, I'm a bike mechanic, and I love to go camping. Oh, and here's my done up Toyota 4Runner parked outside.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and and yeah, so he knew of us from uh, he was at college uh, in the Driftless uh, region, which the Driftless is very famous area here. Uh, Wisconsin for fly fishing. So he was in college, knew about us as an, uh, like from just online presence. And he, he, you know, his home, he he grew up in, uh, was it Uh, Waldo? Uh, So just right, right here, right by Sheboygan. So he stopped in one day. Just because we had everything that he was into.
3: So uh, tobacco, we're, the company is going to be six years old this January. Um, so it was just Carl and I. And then, I mean, I shouldn't say just Carl and I, because like his mom and dad were so helpful. And like you said, Evan, and we had a handful of people like that did really help. But it was just Carl and I um, until Anton started when our son Mac was born. And Mac is only two and a half. And I think we now have f- 15 employees. Yeah. So, um, we had no idea how we could afford Anton, but we were just like, we don't have a choice because we can't afford a babysitter either. So you're going to have to stay home with the baby. And then now I think a lot of our things have just been like, we don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to make it happen.
1: Thank you again to South Dakota for making this episode possible. Hunting brings us together. It's a human tradition. The connection to nature, the adrenaline of the hunt, the satisfaction of eating the game you beg, it's our shared legacy. And while pheasant hunting has always been a part of South Dakota's story, they're making the next chapter even greater. Welcoming all types of hunters and boosting sportswomen's voices, that's a legacy to stand the test of time. Go to huntthegreatestsd.com to hear from women who hunt and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. You'll also find public land maps, season information, incredible pheasant recipes, and resources for beginners. On top of that, you can even enter for a chance to win a free South Dakota pheasant hunting trip for you and your crew, plus Shields Outfitters gear. It's all at huntthegreatestsd.com. I want to shift the conversation a little bit into being a mom and pop shop and just be totally transparent with you guys about this. So I always kind of feel for shops your size because you, especially those that have great websites and are business savvy, because you get lumped into big box shops just simply because of size and stock and professionalism, even though you still have the mom and pop mentality Have you guys ever felt yourself painted or trapped in a corner where you're not really being seen as a mom and a small mom and pop shop, but you're also, you know, not necessarily being seen as a a big, big box store? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say
3: like always, I just sent an email, um, yesterday to our marketing manager and I said, um, make sure with the holiday emails, You know, let people know we have stuff in stock and that we are a ma and pa shop. Make sure people know that (laughs) they're buying from a small business, but that we have things in stock. (laughs) So it's very hard to like let people know, hey, it's just us here, but yeah, we can do it better than all the big names. Yes.
2: Then at the same time, we get other mom and pop shops that will say, we're an online only company and we don't stock anything. And Um, I get people in all the time and more so now because we are getting a pretty good name for ourselves, especially in the fly fishing world. And we're situated smack dab in the middle of two really like awesome fly shops that have been around for a long time and uh, people come in and I I now make it a point to take them downstairs and show them like, no, we we stock probably more than any fly shop in the Midwest. Uh, We've got over a million dollars in fly fishing Uh, gear in stock at any time. Um, And we have anywhere from 2 million to 2.5 million of inventory of everything in stock between a warehouse headquarters and our store. Um, And we're in between locations now. We we were supposed to move into a 12,000 square foot uh, retail slash warehouse in July and had a signed contract in like a week and a half before closing it just fell through um so now we're kind of like in a limbo because uh, that was really needed for us because um yeah we we have headquarters and there's stuff there there's stuff at the store there's stuff at the warehouse we were growing yeah stuff. we were
3: growing so fast in the last two years that we were just like having to literally just get a build buildings to put stuff in so we really want to get everyone and everything into one location but are having a hard time finding a spot big enough
2: and then so as a result it does have us kind of like right now it's more of a um if you've ever been inside like an apple store it's maybe that's the approach we're trying to go for is hey schedule an appointment that way we can make sure if it's at the warehouse like if it's a crossbow or a bike we'll have it here if it's camping gear we'll pull it from the store and have it over here uh, fly fishing is all at headquarters right now. Uh, headquarters is the building that we bought a year ago. Um, how
1: how do you stay considerate towards the other shops? You know how REI would make you guys feel. How do you handle that small little corner shop? You know, within fifty kilometers. Sorry, to however many miles of you guys. How do you stay considered towards those shops? Because you guys, there's almost like there's two mentalities, right? There's the shop owner who's like, yeah, wipe out all the other shops. We want to be the big guns. I don't I don't see you being those people. So clearly you know that there are small shops in the area. Do you try to keep them in mind? Do you work together? We've always thought there's enough
3: fish in the sea for everyone kind of thing. Um not everyone is gonna want. The same style fishing reel, and not everyone sells the same bike
1: brands. You know, there's room for everyone. You guys also sell rooftop tents.
2: Um, a little bit. I've
1: got questions for you if you know anything about them, because I'll, I'll, yes. I'll provide some context here. I I was looking for one. I've since settled. For those wondering, I've I've gone with Alu Cab, which I'm extremely excited about. But I had posted about it on social, and it. I was not the only person with a bunch of questions. So I was wondering if I could ask you some questions for people who are listening, who would like to buy one and have the same questions I had. Um, What is the first, so first of all, soft top versus hard top. Why is somebody going to want to go with one over the other?
2: Hard top will be the easier of the two. The setup uh, just pops up right away. They're going to be more durable overall because it is, you know, a hard shell. But, Really, it's I, I would say it boils down to the ease of setup. Uh, they are quite a bit more money. Um, in some cases, it could be like twice as much money. We actually, when we were traveling on, um, you know, going around to different shows, we actually ended up going with a soft, uh, soft shell, just for the more so the purpose of we couldn't afford one. <laughs> we could not afford uh, the hard shell, so. Uh, we went with a soft soft shell, um, which they're nice. Uh, they're going to be bigger oftentimes because they fold out. So you kind of get like double the footprint of what you would get on a hard shell because the hard shell typically is going to just pop upright. However, there are some new hard shells where they, they do fold out a little bit as well. Um, but the soft ones definitely have they're more spacious, but they are, um, quite a pain to set up if it's raining, especially. And Kate and I have had, uh, some, uh, maybe not so pleasant experiences and,
3: um, (laughs) not happy campers when you pull up to a place (laughs) when it's, 10 o'clock, you drove for 12 hours through the mountains and it's pouring out and you need to set up a tent.
2: (laughs) And there'd be times instead of setting the tent up, we'd just fold the Jeep. We had a Jeep Grand Chair, We'd fold the seats down. We'd just be sleeping the back of it. But then like you know, we're up on a mountain and like your nose is freezing cold and then you you roll over and you hit the panic button or someone has to get up to go to the bathroom. And then you learn real quick that if the car is locked because you don't want to have like someone like mug you in the middle of the night, but if it's locked and you open it up from the inside, the alarm goes off and it's not fun. We've, we've had, Many of those nights. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna totally sidetrack this conversation. Just what you said about getting mugged in the middle of the night—that was one of the final decisions for me with getting this tent. So I don't know if you heard in Australia what happened. We had recently this little girl, Cleo, went missing for three weeks. She was camping with her parents. Oh, I heard about this. And yeah, and somebody in the this man in the middle of the night. It was like one or two in the morning. Unzipped the tent and stole her out in the middle of the night while her parents were sleeping. Because the mom had taken her for a pee at one, and then they went back to sleep. And then in the morning, her and the sleeping bag were gone. But the zipper was up at the top, so she not at the bottom. She couldn't have gotten herself out. So I don't know, Catherine. If you know the, how the story ends, she was missing for three weeks, and everyone just obviously she was. It was presumed she was dead. And obviously, all these horrible things, they found her alive. and well, I think he had some some sort of he was obviously not right upstairs, but he was obsessed with dolls. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to i don't i I wasn't there, so I don't know. but, you know, you have to it, the word on the street is that maybe she was unscathed and that it was a you know, a happy story at the end, but that for me, I was like, okay, I'm done with tents. So I want to be up high and I want to have the wedge. I'm going to push Adelaide right back into the wedge. (laughs) No, for sure. I, I am a
3: huge crime junkie podcast listener. I, I mean, like I walk around with a knife in the house sometimes when I'm home alone, I am like true crime
1: fanatic. So, all the no, safety things. No, that's like things. the one thing that they'll use against you. That's like the one weapon that they will use against you. You need a little pocket mace or something. Oh, or I have taser. that too. You're in America. No, you can have it. You, you
3: and in with all of that, you are much safer on on top of the roof, like not just from that, but from animals, from um, you know, rain and stuff, so your bottom's not getting wet. All that kind of stuff. You are safer as a whole on the rooftop tent as well. <laughs>
2: yeah i I always thought it was kind of like a australian thing you know and like to keep you off the ground from all the snakes, creepy crawlies yeah. and whatnot yeah and around here at least in the midwest we don't really have too much we've of seen that.
3: some big spiders but, on our travels uh, <laughs> maybe not what you guys yeah. have in australia but.
2: <laughs> but how do you keep but, it from um, getting
1: mildewy how do you keep everything dry in there
2: yeah. So you really got to air it out just like you would any other tent for the most part. Um I think it it's, out. yeah,
3: um, it's not, yeah. you know, don't worry about cleaning it up like at, while you're camp, you know, clean it up enough to get home. But when you get back home, that's like pop it back up, go through it, clean it out. That's, that's how it doesn't get mildewy.
2: Yeah. We also had the Gil Zero. um We had the Gil Zero Yeti. And then we had like, they've got fans that you can plug into it. So um you can either use you know it's a, more or less it's a battery pack that um, you can use solar um, uh, solar panels basically to charge the battery pack. or if say you're going on a trip, you could plug it in at home, charge the battery pack, take it on your trip. You don't necessarily have to have solar panels and there's fans, there's lanterns that you can kind of plug into it. Uh, we ran the business off of a Go Zero Yeti. Um, there's a picture of us in what was it, Grand Junction, Colorado, yeah. or uh, Fruta. no, Frida, Colorado, uh, where we're up in the mountains. And we were with our laptops with solar panel plugged in, and we had our cell phones going, and we had our laptops going. And that was on the way from Wisconsin out to California for we gone like three or four weeks. Maybe that was a four week trip, On the yeah. road, and then you know, at that time, we had the storefront. My dad, you know, we we get excited if we sold a, a Snow Peak fork, and be like, "Dad, you got to get over to the shop. You got to go right now, and you know, get the spork shipped out." And uh, back then, we we'd have to go to the postal. We would go to the post sp- office wait, wait, wait. to spork,
1: ship like a like a fork spoon. Yeah, no.
3: We yeah. Like used to a four, uh, like a
1: four dollars spork. Yes, oh, we used goodness. to sell those. <laughs>
3: like for some reason, we, I mean, sold like probably ten within like two weeks. But we thought we were like the hottest shit ever. We we're like, we've made it. We are selling sporks oh, yeah. online, man. And
2: probably because we were paying 30 bucks for an ad to sell a $10. But item. we, were, you know, but I we were getting
3: the sales and <laughs> I'd walk down to our creepy basement because we we're in an old house and go to our little warehouse of like two shelves and grab the spork and handwrite people's, I mean, we hand wrote people's addresses and they probably were like, get this package. Like, what the heck did I
1: just buy? And where did this come from? How does it make you both feel knowing that even though you started so small and you've had so many struggles that as soon as you expand and are quote unquote successful that you are automatically going to be demonized and i and i ask because from experience it's painful for me to have had so many years personally broke really really broke and i'll read on you know youtube comments oh it must be nice to be rich or whatever they assume about me and it's like dude you have no idea what I went through or how, even though you guys all thought I was quote unquote famous, you assumed I was successful, even though I was so broke, I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills the next day. Do you, because you do know that there are going to be people out there who listen to this, who say, April, why are you supporting big box name stores? And I'm going to have to say, well, they're not, they're a mom and pop shop. Listen to the episode.
2: Yeah, so I want to make a book, uh, like a a toilet book, you know, like something you'd read while you're on the toilet for call like advice I didn't ask for or or advice we didn't need. You know, it's that that's the kind of thing that would go into a book like that because people have no idea. Um, We were down in Florida once. <laughs> By this point, we'd already like gotten too much money from my parents, you know, and had to owe them and uh, stuff like that. But like we, Kate took out like a credit card in her name because my cards were all maxed out. And then he, we
3: weren't married we at this bought, point, so we were working every yeah. every aspect we could. Different last names, yeah. different emails.
2: <laughs> But I remember we didn't have gas to get to the show that we're going to in Florida. And uh, so Kate got a credit card in her name. I think it was kind of like, we already had it and it was kind of like backup. But I had to take a cash
3: advance or something.
2: uh, Yeah. We, we, I think we, we bought from our own company. (laughs) This might be illegal. (laughs) We bought from our own company, but we did it through PayPal because we knew if it was PayPal, we could pay $10 to get the money immediately. (laughs) And that's how we got money for gas or something. And we made it to Florida. And and like
3: returned our item to ourselves or
2: something. Yeah. Like we didn't make any sales in Florida, but if you were in Florida, you didn't know anything. And we were just there happy faces and doing, you know, doing it.
3: We're husband and wife, but this is his, this is his company and nobody knows how much work he has. He has put into this and how many hours and how many literally blood sweat and tears so I think that I feel like the people who really know us and have cared to listen like they are so proud and you can tell just when they talk to us and the things that they say and I don't really I guess to answer I don't really care what other people think. I mean we we work hard, I think. You know, I mean,
2: I wouldn't say we've been demonized. I haven't really felt that yet from anyone, Yeah, but
3: I think as we continue it's, it's, to grow,
2: I'm sure, you know, yeah, it's, it's more the advice.
1: If you could be as big as REI, would you?
2: Um, I mean, I can answer. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard growing, right? And we've been uh, full throttle now for quite a few years here and it gets, you get burned out. Right. But even regardless of all that, I don't want to have multiple stores. I want to have the one store. Um, just this past year, we bought the domain name um, at the time it was a lot of money. Now it's like not, but at the time again, it's, we shouldn't have spent the money, but I, I had this domain name called uh David.com. And just from the Bible, David versus Goliath. And so, um, you know, early on, I had a consulting company. I still do where I used to design websites and I've used freelancers to design websites. But the idea behind uh, BDavid.com was to basically, um, I think we we are on the verge maybe of having some recipes to success here where other small businesses could kind of benefit from some teachings. So it was kind of the whole idea of be David is look any small company can take on the, the big Goliaths out there. And, um, I feel that every state, every region of a state should have a company our size. Why, why is it that every state has a RAI or has a Cabela's or a Bass Pro? Um, And in my mind, you know, you look at these big guys out there and and this has always been my philosophy, right, is um, there are these giants and people are scared of them and whatnot. And to me, I'm like, um, I've always thought if you're small, you have some other advantages and you can be more nimble, right? Um, Why are the Bass Pros and Cabela's and REI's and all these other big companies, why aren't they shipping right from their stock at the local store. It's still coming from some fulfillment center. So there's a chance for, you know, any small company to become big in the eyes of the consumer on a, on an online side. Uh, The problem is um, you can go really broke, really fast chasing online sales. If you don't know what you're doing. Um, Initially that was something that, um, kind of led to our success was i managed our uh google adwords and kate managed our facebook ads and we were pretty good at it. we thought we were really good at it. um now we've kind of i don't know if we just lost our touch or not but we've outsourced it and they're doing a bit better than us but like i mean there were for like five minutes one time i think we blew like twenty thousand dollars and we if you search anything mountain bike we owned Google for those five minutes and yeah, we burned through like twenty grand and um did I think, you make I your think, money
1: back off that five minutes? I'm curious uh, about
2: that. We're still working on it, I'd say, you know, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> but but yeah, there there were some big learning curves, you know, and, and I think a lot of people would maybe give up at, you know, big blunders like that. And uh, we've just continued to like fail forward and um you, know, you 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 fail forward and you learn from it and you just stay committed to it and um, that's kind of got us where we are but uh, i think the ability for any small shop is there but it, it it isn't easy and it it does take the certain ingredients to make it work so initially the whole be david thing is like i i would just like this get to a point where we could take, we've got some really great small businesses here. How can we teach them to just get online and, um, and do that? Uh, And that to me is like where I see things going. Once we get to a certain size, I don't want to be as big as REI. I'd like to, okay, let's have something here. Let's do this and do it really, really well, better than REI serve this certain group of customers because, look, we're not going to be the right shop for every customer. There's going to be customers that they don't really have loyalty and they can go shop anywhere to go to REI or wherever. But if you're loyal to us, we're going to be loyal to you. And then um, we'd like to build um, the business that way. And then I, I would like to you know,
0: help others out.
1: Well, you guys are both still so young and such a young family. And as you know, having kids puts a fire back under your step. I was getting ready to honestly sit back and settle into my life and my finances. And then I had Adelaide and I was like, well, I'm back to work now. (laughs) It puts a fire under your bum real fast. So um, I'm excited to see you guys' future. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, Is there anything that you wanted to add or to ask me before we let you get to bed? Because it's very late there for you guys.
3: Um, well, I just want to say it's just like a dream to talk to you this Is because I'm pretty sure the first time I went out fly fishing with our son, I was like showing my husband pictures. Well, I was showing Carl pictures of you like, I'm going to be like her one day. I'm going to be oh. like that. <laughs> so it's very cool to be talking to you right now. And I just want to say um, thank you for the time because... Um, you know, like Carl keeps saying things all work out and we talk to the right people. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for us to be talking with you. So
1: thank you for that. This has been fun. Oh, thank you. You guys offer a, a perspective I haven't had on the show yet. I've had small shops. I've had the big guys. It's, it's, it's cool to hear, um, from, from your guys's position, you know, the, the struggles and then, and, and past struggles and future struggles too. Right.
2: I, I think, um it's really just about people.
1: We'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much to both of you, and hopefully I can get out your way soon. Yes, thank you. All right, sounds good. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for next week's episode when I sit down with my friend Heather Hodson.
0: Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.